Al-Bayan Radio presents the following program, asking Allah that it serves as a benefit for all. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa la. Amma ba'd fa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is a bit of a change. We usually have Abu Abdurrahman sitting where I'm sitting and me sitting where our special guest is sitting. And so if I make any blunders or mistakes, uh, I do sincerely apologize. Uh, I'm going to try and learn what Abu Abdurrahman taught us, not through theory, but through his practice, Tabarakallah. The date today is, and I hope I even get this correct, the 24th of the 8th, uh, 2023. And we are in, now because it's after Maghrib, the 9th of Safar, 14.45. And I am joined by my special guest. Sorry, I keep looking over this way, our special guest, just to see how he rates me. Uh, we are joined by our special guest, international guest, all the way from Houston, America, brother Daniel Ha'i'aju. How are you, brother? Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. I'm doing well. Did I say it correctly? Yeah, you can pronounce it Ha'i'aju, Ha'i'aju. All of them. All of them are fine. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm close. So even if I was wrong, I was close, and I hope uh, close gets me a pass. We are at Alban Studios in Belmore, Sydney, Australia, and Daniel is here. Uh, he's come to check out Australia, alhamdulillah, and we hope that he likes it. He was in Melbourne uh, last week, and alhamdulillah, he has come to the blessed land of Sydney this week. And I can tell by your beautiful smile that uh, Sydney is much, much, much better, nicer, happier. Uh, all of the positive words that you can find in the dictionary, we are more than Melbourne. And even if you don't want to say that out loud because you don't want to offend anyone, I understand. But uh, it is a known fact. And our brothers uh, and sisters south of the border, uh, we do love them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But reality is reality. You know, there were people better than others. And this is just a simple fact that Sydney is better than Melbourne. So we do welcome you uh, to Sydney. We've had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with you in the past few days. And we do know, as we've mentioned before, and I'm, I know you know about yourself, that there are some uh, question marks, there are some controversies, there are some misunderstandings, and all of that, inshallah, Azza wa Jal, we want to clarify. And so we thought, in terms of a sit-down on the radio, online, why don't we do a you know podcast style called Misunderstood? And we want it to be about you, and we'll just shoot off questions not by your haters, not by your enemies, not by people that may be a little bit unfair or extremely biased in their approach, but people that know you, people that like you, people that follow you, but maybe they uh, have some questions about certain matters that, inshallah, Azza wa Jalla, they would have liked to have asked you, but they don't have access for whatever reason. And so uh, we thought we'll do it on their behalf, inshallah. Uh, and all people that maybe they don't know you. And so they say, you know what? There's this Daniel brother with a confusing last name. Uh, he's come all the way, international guest speaker. I don't know who he is. Let me find out who he is. You go online, mashallah, the guy's got like hundreds of videos. And then there's people talking about him also. Who is he? You don't have Wikipedia. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can work on that, inshallah. Who is he? This is, inshallah, one of those things that we hope they can easily tune into and, uh, and uh, get a good understanding of that, inshallah. In terms of, uh, for the brothers and sisters that are watching, I think the camera is that way. Usually I'm looking over there. So now I'm looking, I think, there. If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Techman, correct? That way? Okay. Uh, and brother Daniel's camera is there. So if you want to look into their souls, that's where it is for that camera over there. Um, 
how it will work, inshallah, for the brothers and sisters watching, is I'll ask uh, Daniel, inshallah, a whole set of questions. And he has a maximum of three minutes to answer, inshallah. You're going to time me? I have, I've got my timer here. And a lot of the brothers and sisters that ask me, Sheikh, why do you have two phones? And they're alluding to like, are you a drug dealer? The answer, alhamdulillah, is no. Okay, I'm not a drug dealer. I live in Busby, which for some people, maybe like, okay, that doesn't help your case. But I drive a Kluger, so not a drug dealer, alhamdulillah. Uh, these are these are scenarios, brothers and sisters, where you need two phones. You got one phone for your questions, one phone for the timer, inshallah. Uh, but I will time you. Okay, I will time you. I really wanted to get like a nice big clock and just press it like they do in chess. But we didn't get around to it. So, Allahu Alam, if you get a chance to bless us with your presence again in uh, Australia, maybe we'll have that ready for you, inshallah. inshallah. So it's a hot seat. Without getting into the questions yet, just briefly, how's your time been in Australia so far? Alhamdulillah, very good. Enjoyed my time with the uh, shuyukh, the imams, and the community. Brothers here are so uh, hospitable. I really enjoyed my time so far. So all is well. And Melbourne, I know that you don't like it, but they have some good brothers, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm happy with saying some good brothers, of course. Yeah, I mean, Quraysh <laughs> had some good traits, yeah, even, even when they were disbelievers <laughs> in the time that. of the Prophet. Like, so we're happy with the sum. We don't mind some. Of course, there's some good brothers. You can never, ever, ever get rid of that. <laughs> Okay, but as a as a whole, <laughs> like but, yeah. <laughs> Melbourne compared to Sydney. Um, well, I've only been here for two days, so I can't make a fair comparison. You have to wait until I'm here for and the, equal amount say, of time. Don't they say first impressions mm-hmm. are the most important ones? Yeah, my first impression was you, mashallah, picking me up at the airport. So it was positive so far. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> See, this man is a smart man to Smart man to Tayyib, uh, we will get into the questions, inshallah. The first one is who is Daniel? Uh, yeah, so I'm a Daya. I am um, based out of America and Texas, uh, the land of cowboys and uh, cattle. But alhamdulillah, I've been doing Dawah for over 10 years now online. I founded a website, MuslimSkeptic.com, and I also teach courses at my institute, Alesna Institute. And uh, yeah, I've became practicing as a Muslim. I was born to Iranian parents. In, they're from Iran. They immigrated to the U.S. I was born in the U.S., raised in the U.S. And I began to learn more about Islam uh, from Muslim friends in high school. I became more uh, conscientious and practicing of deen within high school. I went to college. I um, had the opportunity to go to Harvard College where I studied physics and uh, philosophy. And while I was in college, I studied certain um, topics in philosophy, and I realized that a lot, uh, as I learned more about Islam with different shuyukh, that Islam has some contradictions with the dominant status quo ideologies of modernism and liberalism and capitalism and secularism. This kind of conflict uh, surprised me, and I started um, wanting to challenge those ideologies and defend Islam. And so that's why I studied philosophy. I went deeper to understand the roots of these ideas. And I wanted to do dawah. I wanted to help other Muslims uh, challenge these ideologies in order to gain uh, strength and confidence in the truth of Islam and to avoid reform, reforming the religion, falling into bid'ah, innovations, and so forth. So that's why I dedicated myself uh, to for the past, you know, over 10 years, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Is the... Uh, last name, an Iranian last name? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
So that's Hayrat is coming from Haqiqa, uh, uh, truth, and Ju in, in Farsi, um, in Persian, means seeker. So I mean seeker of truth. You can be nice, nice, nice. Danish Jew. If you if Urdu speakers might know Danish Jew or Danish like learning. So a college student is called Danish Jew in Farsi. So that's the meaning of the term. It is my actual last name. And the institute, physical one or just online? It's online. Yeah, it's an online institute. We teach courses. It's Al-Asna, which people are confused. Does that mean Al-Asna, like Alif Lam, Al-Asna? But actually, it's coming from Al-Asna, the verb, a uh, negating verb. Uh, are we not? Yeah, are we not? So okay. it's like, are we not institute? Okay, <laughs> I, kind of I was wondering as well. So, yeah, but it's coming from the, it doesn't mean, are we not institute? That's just a yeah. joke. It's coming from Al-Asna al haq Are we not upon the truth, which is the okay. famous statement of Omar radiallahu anhu. Mm-hmm. Are we not on the truth? It's a statement of boldness and confidence in uh, Islam as the haq. So we wanted to imbibe that in our institute or you know, represent that with our institute. So we named it Al-Asna Al-Haq Institute. I think we're done. That's what we wanted yeah. to hear, his name. Alhamdulillah is done in, in his nationality. That's a wrap. <laughs> Inshallah, Azza wa Jal, uh, for those that want more information on where they can you know, study these courses or follow Daniel, Inshallah, towards the end of the program, you can just... Go all out in uh, all of the socials and the internet stuff. I'm a bit illiterate when it comes to that. Jazakallah uh, khair on question number one, question number two. And this is, again, uh, we want to get into things which some people may take as controversial, but something that is clear so that we can know how to progress. Uh, some people like, is this speaker this or is he that? Uh, the term Salafi is a broad term today as you know there are alhamdulillah in australia we don't actually have this fitna as much as other countries and in america the uk parts of europe it's uh far worse it's far more problematic but alhamdulillah in australia we don't have uh, as much of that problem in terms of the salafi understanding people that follow the quran and sunnah as understood by the first three generations specifically the companions of the prophet sallallahu people that put the revelation over the intellect people that stay away from innovations etc 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 the general understanding of salafi is daniel salafi um, yeah according to that definition then i'm definitely salafi i um, have stated you know clarified many times that in terms of aqidah I have the Athari kind of aqidah that, you know, can be traced to uh, figures like Imam Ahmed um, and others. But in terms of Salafi, the thing is, the, the difficulty is that it can refer to a range of different ideologies in, in this day and age. Um, Salafi could refer to someone like Muhammad Abdu, um, the, Azhar, the uh, Mufti of, or Sheikh Al-Azhar, the Mufti of Egypt. Uh, back in the 19th century. And if you don't know Muhammad Abdu, he was a major modernist reformist. But he, according to some, is the founder of the quote-unquote Salafi movement, for example. So, you know, obviously I, I reject that. But uh, in terms of following Islam according to the understanding of the Salaf, then definitely that's my menhaj. Uh, another definition of Salafi is someone who thinks that, you know, we need to move past the ijtihad of the previous imma, the previous scholars, and do our own ijtihad. And I disagree with that completely. Uh, I don't consider myself Salafi in that sense. I think we need to really not try to do this kind of new ijtihad. If there is any ijtihad that I trust, it's going to be um, the ijtihad of the kibar al-ulama, 
the Imam Ahmad, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, and their madhahib. And so I don't agree. Uh, some people associated with Salafism believe that you can just, you should abandon these schools because these schools are like an innovation, they're a bid'ah, and we should do our own ishtihad. I completely reject that. Mm-hmm. So some, some that creates some confusion amongst some who say, oh, Daniel is not actually Salafi because he believes in studying these madhahib and following a madhahib. So that could cause some confusion. Again, that's part of the problem of misunderstanding what the term Salafi is, which is these are fiqh matters. And in fiqh matters, the aqidah doesn't come into very, very, very small uh, crossover. But in general, the general fiqh is if someone was a shafi'i, he can be a salafi. If someone was a hanbali, he can be a salafi. If someone didn't follow a madhab like uh, zahiri, then he can be a, a salafi. So uh, not to uh, restrict the term salafi, just the general aqidah of the person who follows the salaf as opposed to, for example, the ashairah or the maturidiyah or other groups that came a little bit after. Got that one then, alhamdulillah. Number three, why are you controversial? <laughs> Again, you've only got segue. three minutes for that one. Yeah, We're doing good so far with time. Yeah, I, I really, that's a good question. I don't know why I'm controversial. Um, maybe you can explain it to me, but I just try, like one of the things that is controversial, I talk about controversial subjects. I talk about subjects where you have a dominant ideology, the status quo that's attacking Islam. You know, there are certain teach like feminism. Feminism is telling Muslims that, you know, you're backwards for thinking that there are gender roles. You're backwards for thinking there are two genders. You're backwards for thinking that, you know, husbands have certain rights and responsibilities. Wives have certain rights and responsibilities. Husbands should be the leaders of their household. Uh, Men should be leaders of the community. Things like of that nature, gender issues. So that's going to be controversial because it's going against the status quo. And unfortunately, you have some Muslims who will adopt the status quo, even though it's coming from non-Muslims. They will adopt the dominant kufri status quo. And then they'll have a big problem with someone who is saying, hey, actually, this status quo is contrary to Islam and is actually detrimental to the Muslim community. They don't want to hear that. So they attack me for that reason. And that's a small example, like gender issues is one issue, interfaith issues, like, okay, why are some Muslims uh, and even some imams or scholars, they're compromising Islam for the sake of this watered down Abrahamic religion, for example, or what have you. And then if you criticize that, you're accused of being jealous or you want to actually, oh, you're attacking the scholars. Uh, so that's the source of controversy. But the ki- kind of things that I say, it's not like a, it's a very, uh, you know, innovative fiqh position that no one has ever heard of. And I'm putting that out there and therefore you're, that's causing controversy. No, there's nothing that I say that isn't well established in the consensus of the ulama in history, in Islamic history. Do you think, because we have a minute left for that answer, do you think sometimes the controversy may, may be from ways that you say certain things or we maybe get to a bit later but words used or maybe the approach to it so what you're saying is correct you know as a common they say what you're saying is correct but the way that you said it was the controversial part or people got offended they took it the wrong way not because your message wasn't correct but because maybe the way you said it do you think that could be part of it not to smash you i'm just <laughs> asking no it's a good question. question um this is something that i was told for a long time so you know i've been doing dawah as i mentioned for the past um 11 years maybe and this is one of the criticisms i got as i got into more 
controversial issues. Um, and so I actually wrote an article in 2014 on this issue of catcalling mm-hmm. uh, because this was a big controversy uh, in 2014 in the mainstream media. Oh, women are getting harassed and they're being catcalled when they walk on the street. They don't feel safe. Um, and then I wrote this article saying that, yeah, it's completely wrong, unacceptable for any man to whistle at or call, cat call a woman. Uh, but there is another dim- dimension to this issue. Women are dressed inappropriately. Many women are going out dressed inappropriately. And this is a type of sexual harassment uh, because they're displaying themselves in this kind of provocative way to society around them. So they should be held accountable for the kind of dress that they have. That doesn't justify attacking them. That doesn't justify any kind of violence against them or harassment, but they should be seen as doing something very immoral and wrong. So you can imagine, (laughs) publish this article and immediately get attacked as this and that. But even surprisingly amongst uh, very uh, religious Muslim women practicing uh, modestly and they care about hijab, they care about naqab, they care about all of that hayat, they also were criticizing me and they couldn't point out, oh, this is actually wrong in terms of the content of what you said. It's wrong because, oh, you're just not nice about it. But then, so I realized at that point and thereafter, what was not nice about what I said? I was much more polite and much more diplomatic, actually, back in 2014. And I realized that, no, you don't, it's, you can't answer the objection. You can't actually provide a counter argument to what I'm saying. So this is just an excuse that you're using that, oh, you're just saying it in the wrong way. Your tone is incorrect. So I completely, uh, I found out at that point that these tone objections or tone policing is not really substantive. It's an excuse because you can't address the substantive issue. Especially like in today's online world where everything is like conflated and there aren't consequences and there's echo chambers and comment sections and all those kind of <laughs> funny things. To me, I always say the comment section is the jungle of stupidity. Yeah. Uh, question number four, or maybe number five, depends on how our tech team fix it up later, inshallah. Uh, where did you receive your Islamic education? So I studied um, with different shuyukh over the years. Um, so I studied different texts of fiqh, different texts of aqidah, um, different um, study. I Because when I entered college, that's when my Islamic re- learning, like you could say traditional learning, really began. Prior to that, it wasn't v- much at all, if anything. Um, so I actually learned how to read Quran in college. Um, mm-hmm. Then shortly thereafter, I learned how to, you know, recite with tajweed, you know, basic rules of tajweed, etc. Started studying uh, some basic fiqh, um, you know, hadith, tafsir of the Quran, all basic stuff. And then I just progressed over time. And to this day, I'm still studying, you know, studying different books, uh, mutun of fiqh, um, Initially, I was studying the Han- uh, the Hanbali school. Now I'm increasingly studying with Hanafi Mashayikh. And alhamdulillah, you know, it's just a continuous journey. But I haven't graduated from an official institution or I do not yet have like that kind of official degree, but I'm working towards it. Alhamdulillah. May Allah Azza bless you with it and increase your Islamic knowledge. And again, as you mentioned, uh, maybe you haven't done X, Y, Z in Islamic studies, but that doesn't mean that what you mention, what you speak about, you don't necessarily know. Some people they conflate yeah. the two, and that's incorrect. So Baliguani walo ayah, if you know, preach about me, even if it's one verse as the Prophet mentioned. So if you know something, 
you're allowed to speak about it. But that which you don't know, obviously, you're, you have to stay away from it. Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. And so there's nothing uh, wrong with that. Uh, is there any particular sheikh that you want to or can mention? Um, and I say can because some people, they misunderstand. Sometimes you may have a sheikh that you don't want him to receive you know, unsolicited backlash for no reason. You know, maybe he's living his life and then you mention his name and then tomorrow you wake up and he's calling you crying because, you know, he's got someone at the front of his house blaming uh, him for you. <laughs> yeah. So is there any particular sheikh that you feel uh, molded you in those years or assisted you in those years that you want to you know, maybe mention or, or speak about? Yeah, I'm just careful about mentioning the specific names of teachers uh, because... I have to get their permission first. And there's so much backlash like with some of these people online that are literally targeting my house. <laughs> they post my address online. They, you know, attack my my family. Um, so alhamdulillah hasn't got to the point of attacking my children, but maybe that will come down the line too. And I am surprised by the amount of hate. So that's why it's mentioning specific teachers. But I do have, uh, it's very important to have ulama, uh, scholars who are going to advise you and you listen to them. For anyone who is involved with online da'wah, it's really a must. Even if you're not studying any kinds of books with them and you're not studying to become you know, an alim, just having someone that will advise you and correct you and you will actually take their guidance and take you know, do a mashwara with them to get their advice on anything, that's really critical. Um, but individuals that I can mention, um, there is a scholar, uh, Mufti Idris Abdul Salam in the U.S. that I have studied with, and he's okay with me mentioning him. I've studied with him over the past couple of years. Um, and then there's also another sheikh that I haven't really studied closely with, but I greatly admire, and I do have you know a relationship and contact with him, is Sheikh Lutfi Abdurrahman. He's based out of Canada. He's a very good sheikh, mashallah. Um, and others, and others that um, I have a kind of personal relationship with and I, I learn from, alhamdulillah. I think it's very important to mention for the listeners who, again, they don't always necessarily understand uh, the real world, especially the ones that live their life online. And I know, mashallah, you're very active online. So a lot of your followers may be, you know, from those people, even your haters, they live a life online where they may sometimes read theoretical things like, you know, the self saying, mm-hmm. tell us who your men are. You know, when innovate before they didn't ask who your teachers were, but then when innovation started happening, they wanted to make sure who did you get your teachings off, and there's a maslaha in that. But then there's a maslaha and there's a mafsada. Sometimes there's a, a benefit, but then there can also be harms, and it's important in people uh, for un- to understand that in a position like yours, I don't have that same fitna. Alhamdulillah. So I can see and say, okay, my sheikh is this person, this person, this person, because inshallah nothing's gonna happen to them inshallah, mm-hmm. but. Uh, in a situation where you know maybe your views are in the hundreds of thousands or sometimes maybe even the millions and if people don't like you they aren't 100,000 or 200,000 followers they may be split right down the middle which is a big number and you don't know how someone else is going to cop abuse and you don't want that on that person sometimes a person is a simple imam he goes he leads the salah he gives khutbah jumu'ah he gives some reminders he goes home there's no controversy in his life and sometimes out of uh, fear for their safety or Fee for even their lifestyle, their mental health, or whatever it may be, that's not the pressure that you want to bring upon them. So it's very important for people to realize that if you want to know who Daniel's Mashaykh are, and you're a person who has a reason to know, you can go and sit with him personally. If there's a reason to know, and there can be in a manner. Okay, I've got followers. I come and say, Daniel, 
I want to know who your mashayikh are so that I can say to my followers, it's, I'll, I'll give you the tick of approval. Uh, as opposed to who are they online so that they can get attacked. This is not something that uh, we promote at all. The other thing also is that I don't claim to be a sheikh. I don't care, claim to be an alim. I don't, I'm not an imam. I don't have that position of authority, religious authority anywhere where I'm going and teaching people. If that were the case, I think it's important to have the correct authorization to do so. You have to have an ijazah, you have to have a sanad, you have to have this. Um, that's very, very important in deen. So I'm not trying to say that this is, oh, I just feel uncomfortable and maybe there's a danger, so therefore I'm going to keep it private. No, that's not my argument. My argument is that, well, I'm not even claiming to be a sheikh and I'm not uh, opining, I'm not putting out any kind of view that requires authorization. It's mm. very basic, fundamental things like haya is important. You know, the uh, the rights and responsibilities of the husband or wife are important. Gender roles are important. Uh, certain kinds of behaviors, uh, sexual behaviors are haram or they're, um, you know, fawahish. Those are basic standard things. You don't need to be a sheikh to be able to say such a thing. Jeez, sahih. Uh, that's actually part of one of the questions that will cover, inshallah. Uh, number five, how did you get into da'wah? Yeah, it's, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, it was this challenge of modernism, liberalism, secularism, feminism against Islam. And it's kind of my personality where I am very offended by people who claim to be so smart and claim to be so superior and they turn up their noses at Islam. Um, It just offends me to a great degree. And I feel like, you know, making them belittling them in the same way that they belittle Islam. And so I was learning more about Islam in college. And as I was learning more, there was I see that there are. Um, non-Muslims who are attacking Islam. There are Muslims who are adopting some of these ideologies and they're, they're becoming liberal Muslims, feminist Muslims, and they also look down on traditional uh, ulama, the tradition itself, the Islamic tradition itself. And so I am motivated to uh, respond to them and to fight back against them and uh, argue against them. So I was very active uh, in college in these kinds of debates uh, with graduate students, with some of these professors actually um, that were at the university and other universities on email forums. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all on WhatsApp. And yeah, that was way before platforms. WhatsApp, yeah, yeah. way before WhatsApp, way before Facebook and social media. So on the email forums, I was just you know typing away the uh, refutations and it was just based on liberalism again. Like they're trying to liberalize Islam, reform Islam, say, you know, well, we need to, we had this kind of hukum on this issue, but that's like days, that's for days of old. Now we, ha- we have a new situation. We need to find new solutions for our time and our place. So this just angers me and annoys me. And I, the reason that you're trying to reform Islam is because you've adopted this ideology as superior. Uh, but why? Why have you adopted this ideology as superior? This ideology is trash. We need to throw this out. And then when you do that, you see that Islam is superior. And Islam, whatever Islam has legislated, whatever Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, have legislated, is superior, is better. So why are we re- trading what is superior to, for trash? 
So this is the kind of argument that, you know, pushed me towards doing more dawa because I started writing online. I created a blog just for the purpose of refuting uh, evolutionary theory. Mm-hmm. You know, the atheists are putting yeah. this claim, oh, human beings and chimpanzees share 99% of their DNA. This means that evolution is true and the idea of God creating human beings is ridiculous. Just refuting that and articles and on this blog. And then that was the beginning. Then more people started following it and everything else is history. Alhamdulillah. And it's uh, blossomed from then. And uh, one thing that I, again, want to mention towards the end with your, some of your other works is there's, you've done, you've been around for a while, Alhamdulillah. So there are things that you've done a long time ago, which are maybe like a really core things that were before these controversies that maybe people associate with you nowadays. So for people to also be able to benefit from that and not just get any bogged down or, or yani, caught up in the controversial stuff. I think emails went out with um, Hillary Clinton and uh, <laughs> emails. I'm sure that'll go over the head that many other people. Dave, what are your main focuses on Dawah? What are your main focuses in Dawah, sorry, and why? Uh, so recently I've been focusing on debates, uh, debating uh, Christians, debating atheists, debating Mortadine, um, you know, quote unquote ex-Muslims. That's been a lot of my focus um, in the past two, three years. Um, also uh, focusing on developing courses uh, because sometimes you can put out YouTube videos but how can you really develop Muslims so that they develop the tools to be able to critique uh, these ideologies in a very productive and academic way? You can't really get that from just watching a YouTube video or two. Sometimes you need an organized course or curriculum. So developing that curriculum, put making that available on demand through uh, my online institute, that's been a big uh, focus as well. And then another aspect big aspect of what I do is you can call it accountability reports. So I accountability is something that I think has been missing from the Western Dawa in that you have certain imams that gain an immense popularity online, but qualified authorities are not actually auditing what these people and or these institutions are putting online. So I'm not going to name any names, but the fact is that if you actually go through their material and a qualified sheikh will, would go through their material, they would find many mistakes. Uh, where I'm well-placed to do this work is that with individuals that aren't making like small mistakes, they're making huge and mm. ginormous mistakes that even a layperson like me can identify very clearly that this is wrong or this is misleading. Uh, so that's a big part of my dawah as well as basically being like an auditor. And when you're an auditor, you're never really well loved. <laughs> People will hate you for, you know, even if you're right. So that's a, that's another big part of my dawah. Uh, next question. What do you believe are the three main challenges to Muslims in the West? So there are a lot of challenges Uh, to Muslims in the West, and it really depends on what is your level of practice and of Islam. Uh, So I think that with uh, certain Muslims, materialism and dunya is a big problem. Another category of Muslims, shahawat, are a big problem, a big challenge. Uh, I think the big challenge for the Muslims who are very practicing, they're knowledgeable, they care deeply about deen, they care deeply about learning uh, Islam, 
Their big challenge maybe is tawakkul, uh, reliance and having trust in Allah, in the sense that they sometimes, some of them may not be confident enough to face the challenges posed by uh, this liberal status quo. And that's where, without that kind of tawakkul, and tawakkul is what gives you confidence. When you trust in Allah, then you are confident to face a challenge and even a huge enemy. And we see this from the MBA. How are the MBA able to face major enemies who are more powerful, they're more wealthy in dunya sense, um, they have more resources, yet these MBS stand up against them and they declare the truth. So how do we emulate those MBA? We have to have tawakkul and we have to have confidence that what Islam is presenting, uh, the message of Islam to the world is so much superior to uh, not only spiritually superior, but also rationally superior, also morally superior than what these other ideologies are that we are told through propaganda, through media, is actually superior to Islam. You have to have, because you might not know, okay, if you've been indoctrinated, for example, like many Muslims in this day and age are, you've been brainwashed by all of this educational system, media propaganda, you might not know exactly why, you know, um, uh, Khilafa and or this or Sharia is superior to democratic representationalism and secularism. You might not know intellectually the right answer, but if you have that confidence and trust in Allah um, that what He has sent is superior, then you ha- have taken the first step to resist that ideology, to resist that propaganda, and then in the future, inshallah, you can. Um, learn the arguments. You can uh, find out the arguments yourself or you can find out from others. So that's, I think, is the really big challenge. I haven't heard that, that one as a tawakkul. For someone to single it out, I haven't heard it, I think, before. Jazakallah khairan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you f- believe are the three main challenges to Muslims in the Muslim world? I think it's the same thing. It's the same lack of, because it depends on who, which... Uh, group of Muslims you're talking about, they'll have different challenges. Uh, but when it comes to uh, the, um, you know, the, the what's the word for it? The, the ones who are leading the masajid, the imams, the ones who are teachers, the ones who are um, in charge of the Islamic universities, they're the, they're the imams who need to hold strong against these forces of liberalization. If they don't hold strong, then they're going to reform. They're going to be more inclined to compromise. They're going to be more inclined to water down uh, Dean because of that lack of confidence. So this advice for Tawakkul, this advice for standing strong is really directed towards that group. You don't want to add another two? <laughs> uh, well, the thing is that th- that... Well, it's so ex- comprehensive that yeah, there's it makes like, up for there, it. There are certain manifestations of that main problem that that main disease because you have people who are like calling for reform so reformism is a big challenge people who want to water down or change the dean they want to introduce innovations uh, they want to transform islamic society to match a kind of western society um, they want to change islamic marriage to represent the kind of western equality marriage they want to change islamic education to represent like a western style university system those kinds of reforms that's coming from the same root disease of a lack of confidence in islam so that's uh, reformism 
the problem of uh, like compassionate imams, which I talk we're about. Not, we're not uh, traditional here. We're like Sydney. I don't know if you've got it. We're out there. Podcast from bags, people walking in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're special. <laughs> we're special. Never a dull moment. Especially when I've got the reins on my Vedic. I've got this whole thing in front of me. I've got no idea what anything does except those two apparently turn my mic on, and I'm a bit tempted. So forgive us. No problem. Barakallahu fikum. Yeah. So that's uh, there are different manifestations. I think those are the main obstacles. Uh Big one. Do you accept criticism and when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah, I, I think I accept uh, criticism from anyone. Uh, criticism for us, that's nasiha, advice. Yeah. Sincere advice. It doesn't even have to be sincere. The <laughs> criticism is the criticism. If someone points out something that's correct, then I, ch- I if they say, said the truth, it doesn't matter if they hate me or love me. They said something that's true, so it needs to be change so i accept criticism from anyone and they can say it in the most rude way but if they said the truth then how can i reject that um but yeah it has to be like a true criticism sometimes people are saying nonsense Montez. uh three mashayikh that you look up to and or would promote in the english-speaking world or non-english-speaking world preferably alive or yeah, recent so history. alive thing that maybe we if we restrict it like shuyukh uh, that are alive and they have like a good online presence so people can follow them. You know, I, I really like uh, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Torifi. Uh, I really like uh, Doctor Iyad Qunaybi. Um, in the English side, I like um, Doctor Yasser Nadim. Uh, he's based out of the U.S. Um, I like uh, Sheikh Lutfi, which I mentioned before. Um, I also like uh, Dr. Abdullah Rushdie. Um, he's based out of Egypt. He does a lot of da'wah against modernists, modernists and liberals in the Egyptian context. I also like... Which is a special context. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> so I like Doc, uh, Sheikh um, Saeed Al-Kamali. Uh, these are the types of mashayikh that I benefit from, alhamdulillah. And there's many more that could be listed. Alhamdulillah. Uh, number 11, if the numbers are correct, is it necessary to use certain possibly mm-hmm. offensive language with others? Uh, it can be necessary for sure. So when I use it, um, if I use harsh language and mocking language, that is something actually permissible. It's something that the ulama have said that you, when it comes to Ahlul Bid'ah, and it comes to Fusaq, people who are um, openly promoting deviance, uh, Zanadiqa, they're promoting, or, or even Murtaddin, people of that nature. Um, in The benefit of mocking them is that so they will be belittled in the eyes of the Muslims and in the eyes of the people. And therefore, it is actually permissible, and in certain cases, it might be uh, necessary to mock them, to belittle them. And this is actually, people say, oh, well, is this prophetic? Is this something that is part of the uh, sunnah of the Prophet mm-hmm. And the reality is that it is uh, because um, the Prophet mm-hmm. encouraged Hassan ibn Thabit, the Sahabi, عنه, to, he was writing poetry against the Quraysh. And he was actually mocking the Quraysh and insulting them. 
And the Prophet وسلم, approved of that because it was effective. It would reduce their morale. It would re- reduce their morale and it would boost the morale of the believers. And the Prophet وسلم, went so far as to say that to make dua that Jibreel وسلم, is going to assist you with, with the kind of that poetry, the mockery. So not only did the Prophet وسلم, approved, even Jibreel, Angel Jibreel وسلم, approves and is supporting that. So as far as the hukum and is this permissible, yes, it is permissible and it could even be encouraged. But it has to be done with wisdom. It has to be done like if you have a weapon, you just don't, you know, wave the weapon carelessly. You have to use the weapon in a very judicious, uh, intelligent for- way. And that's what I try to do. It's only with people who have proven that they are stubborn in their innovation. They're stubborn in their fisk. They're stubborn in their kufr. And some of them even are uh, will attack Islam and they will mock Islam. So if they are mocking Islam, like imagine some of these uh, kufar or these enemies of Islam, they're mocking Islam, then it's permissible and it could be encouraged to reciprocate that uh, against them. So I don't see, you know, what's the problem with the use of mockery. I think it just needs to be a funny. <laughs> it needs to be funny. It needs to be effective. Otherwise, you look stupid if you're trying to, if you use lame jokes. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of dad jokes. And my sister always tells me, stop using dad jokes when I'm on Albayan radio. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a bit hard. Alhamdulillah. Uh, it's our type of humor, dry humor. Uh, what about if we say in terms of mockery with those that, Something like mockery or could be like name calling. I don't want to get too specific with individuals. I don't want to mention names. Mm-hmm. But let's say people that are closer to Ahl Sunnah. Like they are Ahl Sunnah, but they maybe have some flaws or mistakes or errors. Uh, obviously, you're not going to attack them as you know, crazily as you would attack or you're going to use the same words that you would use for someone that is you know, an atheist or uh, he's a murtad, ayyadhan billah, uh, that's attacking Islam day and night. Someone who is promoting Islam, they love Islam, um, but they have some mistakes. We're going to get into some of the correcting of those mistakes and discussing those mistakes. But let's say with them, if someone comes and says, Daniel, I love you. Uh, I I hope in like nothing but good happens to you and your da'wah is blessed. But I feel that maybe some of the words that you use with other brothers that they're Muslim, they're Sunni, but they have an issue or there's a disagreement or they see this is more correct. Can you like be a bit more soft on your words, in your words? Yeah, so I would just question the premise of the question that are they really that close to the Sunnah wal Jama'ah? Are they really close to the Sunnah, the Quran and Sunnah? Are they really? Um, the individuals that I will mock and criticize, I'm doing that because they're not close to the Quran and Sunnah and they are brazen and they're the the toxicity, the danger of what they're promoting is so severe that it requires that kind of response. So, for example, like one of the nicknames that one of these guys that I mock has is Imam Sandwich. Okay, I won't tell you who that is, but Imam Sandwich. Why does You're he have this name? You're not trying to make a fat joke, yeah? Huh? You're not making a fat joke, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just want to make sure because <laughs> no, it could Imam, be dramas. <laughs> Imam Sandwich likes them. No, we don't mock you know a person for their looks. Mm. Imam Sandwich is someone who has hundreds, basically, or dozens, let's say, dozens conservatively, of pictures where he is sandwiched between two women. You know, oh, okay. and, and it's like it's public. <laughs> yeah, not okay. because he likes the. Yeah, you know, I, thought you're trying to like, I thought you were trying to be offensive. I'm like, far out. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> yeah, so that, I'll do BJJ, Sheikh, so you got to watch out. Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to get... 
putting a headlock. But no, uh, BJJ's like headlocks. We don't like headlocks. We really? Prefer like yeah, no, cause that's a wrestling thing. Because from uh, from headlocks, you're in like a bit of a disadvantage, and the person can easily like take your back, flip you over. So it's oh, not very effective. The arm bar then. Yeah, oh, an mm-hmm. arm bar. Yes, not my best <laughs> move, but uh, like a kimura, <laughs> yeah, like a kimura or like a kim- uh, americana. Are they American? So maybe americana. Mm-hmm. I'll teach you some of these things offline. Yeah. I'm, still a, though, I'm still a white belt, so no one come after me. <laughs> my boys are doing jujitsu, actually. Yeah, well, my They're, boys, alhamdulillah, are also doing jujitsu. So maybe, yeah. inshallah, when you come back or I end up somehow in Houston, uh, we'll set it up, inshallah. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so you were saying, Sheikh, my apologies, yeah, Imam, Imam Sandwich. sandwich. Yeah. I so, didn't call him Imam Sandwich. <laughs> I'm just going back to the point that he was saying of why. Just so no one comes and smashes me. You laughed, so... I laughed at the concept. <laughs> I don't know who he is. Okay, I don't know who he is. I just laughed at the concept. So once it was explained don't backtrack. who it was, okay. Don't backtrack. So it was, yeah. It was, well, if I, I say that understand. this is my, might be in Melbourne, then what would you say then? I'd say I was expected. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it is. Besides some of the mashayikh, like I respect all the mashayikh. Again, the Muslims in Melbourne, I do love you sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's too late it's now. Too late. You compare them so. to the Quraysh. No, yeah, yeah <laughs> metaphorically, like some, the Prophet sallallahu said, like this person looks like this person or this person looks like that person. Doesn't mean that he is like the Dajjal or he is like Isa alayhi salam. Just like, you know, physically, the physical looks. I always yeah. saw the brothers in Melbourne and the sisters in Melbourne. Like every you know, few months that I've been away from Melbourne, I'm like, you know what? I miss the brothers and sisters in Melbourne. So maybe we should go down and see that. And as soon as I get off the plane, I'm like, now I know why I hate Melbourne. I remind myself why I hate <laughs> Melbourne. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I'll be there in September, inshallah. So see you all there, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so in, in that case, as I was saying, this is someone who just openly is promoting this. People have criticized him for it. They've corrected him privately. They've corrected him publicly. But this is like what he just likes to do. He likes to take the photo ops, you know, yeah. sandwich between women. So, okay, we're going to mock that. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> understood. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, without being too specific, do you believe there can or, or I suppose they're wrong? Do you, be, uh, without being too specific, do you believe there can and or needs to be a level, a level of compromise regarding certain matters in the West that may be black and white in Sharia because of our reality? That's a broader answer, and you. Like, I know you've only got three minutes. I apologize. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that there should be any compromise. I mean, if you give me a specific example, maybe I can. So, for example, where let's say in Sharia, um, you know, the halal and haram are clear. Um, so, you wouldn't support someone, let's say in politics, you wouldn't support someone who is uh, running for politics who is clearly has like major wrongs, major wrongs. Um, but let's say in the West, where if you are, and we're going to speak a little bit about politics as well, if you are completely away from dealing or engaging in a positive way with politicians, then it's not necessarily someone that you want to be linked with or you necessarily want to give your full support to. But if you don't support any life in general, da'wah, when I say life, I mean da'wah in general, your masjid, your Islamic school, your um, uh, your regulations can become like very, very, very hard. I'll give you an example. In, uh, in but is this something like black and white clearly prohibited in the Sharia? No, no. We're talking about someone. So in the Sharia, let's say uh, someone is, you would not support them. You would have like a much better alternative, mm-hmm. or the hope would be anyway, yeah. that in an Islamic state, you would have a much better uh, Islamic alternative. And so if you had an Islamic alternative and a non-Islamic alternative, you're obviously going to go with the Islamic alternative. Whereas what we have here is, even in the Sharia, you will find many actually uh, actual... Uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, instances 
where precedence, the precedence. You find the precedence where even Umar when he was asked about, do we select someone who's righteous but not as good for the job, or someone who is a bit more like not as righteous? We use not as righteous, but is better for the job. And and he used to say that righteousness is for him personally, whereas his goodness and qualifications for the job is for the the ummah. That's what we're worried about. So he may not be the most righteous person, but is he the best person for the job? But we're talking about someone who. Let's say he will completely support the LGBTQIA plus community. He will completely support them and the you know rights for marriage and everything, and that he is active in that. But at the same time, uh, he's willing to give the Muslims a fair go at the same time. So you're not sending this. You know what? We endorse everything that he does, but uh, having a healthy relationship with him uh, or her in politics in the West uh, is going to make life for Muslims, generally speaking, easier. As opposed to saying, you know what, we're completely away, and then life in da'wah becomes uh, a lot, lot, lot harder. Not for you as an individual, because for you, like you give da'wah here or you give da'wah there, but for Muslims as a whole, like um, a practical example here in Australia is a lot of the times, like the masajid. Mm-hmm. Some of the masajid have become under like very, 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 very strict conditions, very strict conditions. So like they had to like escalate these types of matters and really engage with councils and really engage with any politicians to say what's happening is unfair and then so some sort of reforms happen so it's like some will look at it and say this is a clear-cut matter these people they support that much bad that you need to stay away from them completely others will say uh no it's a lot more nuanced than you think and i hate that word it's a lot more gray than you think and we are looking at the best interests of the muslims and so we're not compromising and saying we agree we agree with what they're saying or we agree with what they are doing but the compromise is in dealing with certain individuals that maybe they, their character is unsavory or you pref- you would prefer not to do with them but you do with them for the greater good of the muslims that's their perspective yeah and i think that any politician is going to be doing it's not just supporting lgbtq or whatever um most of these politicians, 99%, 99.9%, are supporting complete batil, complete kufr, obviously. And But does that necessarily mean that you should have no relationship? But the thing is, how do you define that relationship? Because um, I think everyone can agree it would be better to have politicians that no matter what kind of facet they're doing, they still are not turning against Muslims. They're still not attacking Muslims. And maybe they're even promote like supporting Muslims and Muslim institutions. I think everyone agrees that insofar as you're living in these non-Muslim countries, you want the ruling class or the government to at least have a space for Muslims and even better, even support Muslim institutions by whatever, whatever means. I think everyone agrees with that. There's just a question of strategy. And you can get the, the thing that some Muslims may not be aware of is that the you can get something out of these government officials uh, in multiple ways. One way is to just compromise and to bend the knee and to become basically like the dogs of these politicians. And they will supposedly help you. But in reality, they're they're not going to care about you because you've already given them your support and become their dogs. So they're going to mistreat you and they're going to ignore you. Um, And this is the um, problem that that occurred with a lot of Muslim communities in the past 10 years. They really compromised their deen for the sake of cozying up to the liberal left. 
and it was a kind of relationship of subservience and you're going to compromise your principles on many aspects of Islam for the sake of, you know, us considering you as at the table and part of the group mm-hmm. um, along with other communi- communities, quote unquote, as they call it. Um, so that's a that's a way to ha- to influence government, go for a government in the wrong way. The right way, in my opinion, is to have an oppositional relationship to the government, to uh, make demands of the government, and to pursue legal means. This kind of oppositional approach is much more effective because you are uh, you are interacting with the government on your own terms, according to your principles, and you're using legal means to pressure the government to uh, support your interests. And this is what all interest groups who are effective actually do. There, it's a it's an oppositional relationship, not a compromised relationship. So that's what I think Muslims. Uh, can do without compromising the Sharia, without violating the Sharia, without and really serving Muslim interests without compromise. Done. I hope that answer was understood. And again, anyone that wants to clarify, yeah, and you can <laughs> and you speak to him whether you're for or against. Uh, again, for the brothers and sisters that uh, haven't, or for some of they fast forward or they're just tuning in, we're asking the questions and we're letting uh, Brother Daniel answer. Okay, so people understand who he is. Now, this is not like us sitting, criticizing, smashing, uh, getting what we believe 100% to be correct uh, out from him. But for the ones that want to know who he is or to understand his perspective on some of these matters, for uh, Brother Daniel to answer. You are listening to Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. So we're going to have to shoot through the next uh, few questions, which I don't know if that's the right verb to use since our guest is from Texas. <sighs> Uh, we're going to have to like fly through them. That's and again not something. Uh, we're going to uh, go through them quickly, inshallah. Okay, we're going to go through them as quick as possible. We only have uh, we have some big ones, but inshallah, uh, we try and maybe put a time of like one minute if you don't mind. And I know that's bad. And if you feel you know what, I'm not going to be able to give it. It's right. We'll just stop it, and then inshallah we'll say next question, and inshallah we'll go through it next time because we don't want anyone to misunderstand you. We said from the beginning, we want this for people to understand you a bit better. The last thing we would want is for people to leave thinking, nah, this guy's uh, worse than I thought. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we'll start with the next question, inshallah, straight away. And again, for those that have the ability to get to CYC, uh, Campbelltown, inshallah, azawajal, you'll still be able to make the talk. Uh, question number 13, you answered it briefly. Maybe we have another brief answer. What are your views on political activism and or engagement? Yeah, like I said, that... Political activism, is it an oppositional activism? Is it an activism that is trying to hold people in authority accountable uh, by Islamic standards? Um, I think that type of activism is good. And that's the type of activism that we see from the MBA. Uh, In many of the stories of the prophets, we see that they're in non-Muslim societies, but they are speaking on social issues, on moral issues, and they are doing islah, and they're in their call to tawheed. So those things go hand in hand. And that's the message of the Quran as well. So in this non-Muslim societies in which we live, um, speaking the truth is activism. Um, so no doubt about it, that is a part of Islam, and it's necessary. Unfortunately, some have misinterpreted activism to mean that, oh, you follow the social justice warriors and you have to be adopt their ideologies like critical race theory, like feminism, like um, woke ideology. And that's what it means to be um, a Muslim activist. But this is this is nonsense. This is a compromising Islam. This is uh, distorting Islam. Uh, 
what is your definition of a strong Muslimah? Strong Muslima is a Muslima who does not bend to the pressure from others telling her not to be a traditional wife, not to be a mother, not to have, you know, children, not to homeschool her children, not to be a homemaker, not to cook and clean for her husband, not to be a obedient wife. The strong Muslima has the strength to prefer Allah and His Messenger وسلم, over these critics, these people who are either jealous or they're ignorant or they're spiteful, they're hateful. The strong Muslima has the strength to shut all of that nonsense out and follow the Quran and the Sunnah and to um, really uphold the deen in her uh, household. That is a strong Muslima. Uh, what is your definition of a strong Muslim male? <laughs> strong Muslim man is someone who is going to stand for the haq, stand for the truth no matter what, no matter the opposition. He's also uh, going to be principled and he's not going to bend the knee just because he doesn't want to be embarrassed by others, that he doesn't want to feel like he's the odd man out, that he doesn't want to feel like he's going to be blamed, he doesn't fear the blame of the blamers. That is some uh, one that we can say is a strong Muslim man. I think a lot of people, when it comes to strong Muslim and Muslim, they forget the Muslim part. And that's, uh, I think, the most dangerous regarding that. Uh, what is, we've we done that one. Oh, big one. Do you try and contact those that you publicly oppose privately? Uh, sometimes I do or I did um, just out of courtesy. Um, again, if it's someone that I, there are different levels of public mistakes. So in general, if something is a public mistake, then it should be possible to correct that mistake publicly. But sometimes people just make mistakes um, out of forgetfulness or it was a slip, but it doesn't really represent who they are. And in that case, I think it's better to uh, approach the person privately and talk to them and say, you know, I saw this. What happened? You know, is was that really a mistake? That I think is appropriate. You should, you know, contact the person privately when it's a one-off. But the people that I criticize publicly by name are not making one-off, one-time mistakes. They are making major, huge mistakes, and they are defending it, and they are promoting it, and they are persisting in that. That's a different story. When someone is putting out that much bottle, then they need to be refuted publicly. And sometimes, if they still resist the correction, then you ramp up your criticism. You start using some mockery. You start really belittling the person. There is gradations to this. So some certain people that I criticize today, I was advising them privately uh, six, seven years ago, and they didn't follow the advice. They persisted in the their mistakes. So then the public corrections came very respectful. Oh, Sheikh, Dr. Fulan, you know, he's not doing the right thing. It was respectful. Then they persisted. Okay, then we're going to be a little less respectful. We're going to be less respectful, and we're going to even start mocking. So there is like a progression that takes place because of their response. And again, the listeners, we are giving Brother Daniel the chance to uh, express who he is and what he does and how he does it so that people know him. This is not necessarily like, I don't want anyone to say, why didn't you pull him up on this point? Or why didn't you pull him up on that point? I can say, okay, this is how I would have done it or in this particular context, but that's not what uh, we're doing uh, right now. Maybe I'll speak to you privately. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, it might be the third last. Who knows? In general, do you see some good in those that you oppose publicly? Especially, okay, especially when we say here, we're talking especially the Muslim ones, the Muslim Sunni ones, who they do give da'wah or whatever it may be, but they have some errors. Yeah, if someone is a Muslim, then they have some good in them as a Muslim, and there's no denying it. Uh, so I criticize Muslims, they're Muslim, so that's something good. There's no denying that there's some good in them. As for their da'wah, is their da'wah good? Uh, no, their da'wah is actually very dangerous because if they are mixing in really major errors, like they're promoting uh, gender mixing, they're promoting liberalization, they're promoting LGBT, they're promoting feminism, uh, then they are making those batil ideologies look like they're Islamic. Um, or maybe they're outright calling for reform. Some of these du'at are calling openly saying we need to reform Islam. And yeah, they have a great sirah lecture series or they have a great, oh wow, mashallah, he has a great you know commentary on Arba'in al-Nawawi, for example, the hadith collection. Or wow, okay, fine. Uh, that might be good, but it's being used in service of uh, the batil. Because people enjoy that sirah lecture series, that commentary on the hadith, and it makes them more likely to accept all of the uh, batil ideologies as well. That makes them more dangerous. So this is this is why I don't say that their da'wah is actually good. Their da'wah is dangerous. Uh, for those that you've disagreed with publicly, can there be any reconciliation? And if so, how? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, there can be reconciliation. It requires them to uh, acknowledge that they made a mistake and acknowledge that they were wrong. This is not to apologize to me. This is a part of islah. This is a part of clarifying for people um, what Islam says. And once they clarify, that requires just being very honest about their history. And then when they're honest about their history, they have said what the truth is very clearly, and then they do their part to rectify the damage that has been caused by the stuff that they've been promoting for years. So if someone can do that, um, then no problem. Like, why shouldn't anyone be happy about that and consider that reconciliation? One question that I added, and we'll finish off with that question, and then inshallah some final comments. What advice do you have for those that disagree with you? Not the the figures themselves, but those online. Whether, and I'm sure these are the majority, people that they've heard bad things about you, or they've seen a clip that someone else has made about you, or they've listened to like a very short or small amount of things about you. What's your advice to them? Well, I would just advise to try to look at the bigger picture, try to see some of the other material that's, I get contacted regularly by people who say that, Daniel, I really hated you. I hated your style. But then I found that my you know, family member, my sister, my wife, my uh, son, he felt, fell into this ideology. And he, mm-hmm. maybe he left Islam or he, she took off her hijab or this or that. And then I realized, okay, you, I was turned off because you seemed harsh. But now I realize that your harshness was actually justified. I get many comments like that. So I would just say that people who are turned off by my style or the whole idea of accountability or I'm criticizing these ideologies in too harsh of a way, 
um, try to consider that maybe my harshness is a product of the danger of these ideologies, and maybe you just are not aware of that danger at this time. So that's that's the kind of advice I would give those critics. Last question, point one. Do you think anyone who doesn't like you or disagrees with you has listened to anything that you have posted completely? I, yeah. al- I always find that this is... Uh, a big problem with anyone that this says I, I don't like this sheikh or I don't like this speaker or I don't like uh, you know this whatever I say okay have you listened to something that they've said completely especially if you say I disagree about them on this topic have you listened to what they have actually said and I think almost every single time the answer has been no they've never listened to a complete thing from A to Z about what he has to say on that topic and so they've just built their uh, opinion on someone without even understanding what they were saying in the first place there are some people like that, some of my critics who are like that, they just have an incomplete picture or they really haven't done their homework. But I don't want to dismiss all of my credit critics as just being uninformed. I think the layman, not not like not the figures, not the figures, yeah. like there are laymen who are obsessed. They watch everything that I put out. <laughs> they have done they have written like the reports or they have entire dossier files about, you know, the the problems that they have with me. So they have read, but their hate is based on something else. Their hatred. They can't really show what I'm saying is wrong, Islamically speaking, uh, but they're definitely well aware of the things that I've put out. They have some other problem. Jazakallah khairan, Mr. H, <laughs> for coming to Australia and for preferring Sydney over Melbourne. That is a very special one to my heart. Uh, Wallah, we appreciate your time and alhamdulillah it's gone uh, very, very, very well, and I've enjoyed the conversation. And I really wish we had more time uh, to ask you more questions. Maybe in the future, inshallah, we do it again. Uh, I do thank our tech team, Mr. T himself, and Abu Abdurrahman for teaching me all the tips. I hope I've done you both proud. Uh, some final uh, comments, thoughts, points. Number one, be humbly, not Hanafi. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with the Hanafi method. It's one of the four schools of thought and it's been around for a very, very, very long time. So I'm not dismissing it, but just be humbling. <laughs> um, the talks that you have left tonight will be CYC. Inshallah, we have to leave here straight away and go down there. Inshallah, Highway Patrol doesn't see us. Uh, Highway Patrol is like our cops. Oh. Uh, <laughs> on the raids. <laughs> and uh, so make du'a for us, dear listeners. Um, number two, tomorrow you'll be at AWJ Auburn Bukhari House for Sertul Jum'ah beginning at 1.15 inshallah and the topic there will be online deviance and then you will be Friday night in Wollongong Masjid Salam, um, talking about uh, being someone and the specific uh, trait of sacrifice and then on Saturday inshallah you will be back in AWJ Reevesby um, to give a short workshop or a small workshop on uh, tools needed to defend Islam that's for the brothers and the sisters. The flyers you'll be able to find on the AWJ Australia page. Um, one thing that I really wanted to focus on before people can know how to get in contact with you and to watch your stuff is you mentioned jealousy when we spoke about the Muslim man not bending any over or bending backwards for those that um, attack her and want her to be someone different um, because of jealousy. And this is a point that I think a lot of Muslims miss well, Allah Mother mentions in the Quran about the disbelievers want us to be like them because of their jealousy from what we're upon. And if the Muslim knew that they had the upper hand 
in morality and the like, then that confidence would lead them to not need to look at other philosophies or isms in order for them to be uh, strong, happy, content, etc. Where can people find you before we give you a final comment, inshallah? Mm-hmm. They can find me at muslimskeptic.com. They can follow me on Twitter. They can follow me on Facebook. The YouTube channel is The Muslim Skeptic. Go ahead. Oh, and then we, I also have a Telegram channel if you want some more spicy <laughs> content on Telegram. Be very careful. Yeah. I'm not on there yet, but I'm <laughs> guessing there's going to be some scary stuff on there. <laughs> Whenever someone says Telegram, it's like, ooh. Okay. <laughs> um, final comment. Jazakallah uh, khairah for for everything and I appreciate the discussion and next time we'll interview you Sheikh and have some insights from yourself Jazakumullah khairan barakallahu azza wa fikum hadha wallahu alam sallallahu muhammad wa ala alihi muhammad wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakum alhamdulillah ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa atubu ilayk This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah